What a great morning we're having already this morning. You know, some mornings, maybe every morning's like this, but some mornings I guess I feel it when it just feels like God's got something on his heart to, to share with us this morning. And it just when things start to tie in together. So I'm, I'm really excited about what, what God's going to do this morning. Thank you, team. You can take a seat. Thanks for leading us in worship. So we're continuing our theme on Sent to Build Community. And this morning, we're talking about marriage. And it was funny, Emma was talking about some S words just before. I'm going to use an S word as well in this sermon. Mine's a little more offensive, maybe. We might need a sense of the broadcast. But first, who likes riddles? Yes. Yeah. I like riddles. Sometimes when we go on like uh, trips as a family, we tell riddles and stuff to pass the time in the car. Here's a riddle for you. There was once a woman, and she was married, but... Her husband sadly died, and so she remarried. Unfortunately, that husband also died. So she married a third time. That husband died. A fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh husband, and they all died. And the forensic scientist in me at this point is saying, somebody needs to test the soup that she's (laughs) serving up to these husbands. But eventually, the woman dies as well. Now, here's here's the question. When this woman gets to heaven, whose wife is she? Interesting question. This is actually a riddle that got put to Jesus by some religious leaders. Some Sadducees came to him. They were leaders of a particular Jewish um, sect. Came to Jesus and they, they weren't really asking this question seriously. They were trying to point out how ridiculous it is to believe in a resurrection at the end of the age. And so they come to Jesus and they ask him this riddle. And this is what Jesus says. Let's pick this up in Mark chapter 12, uh, verse 23. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? That's a pretty big criticism to level at a religious leader isn't it you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God when the dead rise they will neither marry nor be given in marriage for they will be like the angels in heaven and Jesus is not saying that we will be angels at the resurrection what he's saying is that marriage marriage as it exists now isn't going to be something that will continue into the the new new creation But marriage is a good thing, isn't it? Won't good things continue into the new creation? This is a bit of a weird way to start a sermon on marriage, right? (laughs) Marriage is a good thing, but it's only temporary, according to Jesus. But there's lots of good things that are only temporary, that aren't going to continue into the new creation. Talking about marriage, one of the most common Bible passages that gets read at weddings is from 1 Corinthians 13. This beautiful poem on love, probably some of you can recite it. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking, love keeps no record of wrongs, and so on and so on. And usually in weddings, it kind of stops after that poem bit. But Paul actually goes on there to talk about how where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll pass away. And he finishes that whole thought by saying... And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. 
But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest of faith, hope, and love? Because love is the thing that's going to last into the new creation. Faith and hope are about us trusting in God and in his promises to us that he is going to accomplish the things that he's promised to us. That's what faith and hope are about. But once we get to the destination, we don't need faith and hope in the same way anymore. We've got the thing that we were hoping for. In the same way, marriage is pointing us towards something greater. It's like we went on a family trip to the Grampians recently and beautiful place. If you haven't been there, I hadn't been there since I was a kid. Such a beautiful place. So many uh, amazing lookouts and animals and things like that. And so we went up to see some of these lookouts up in the mountains and I had no idea how to get there. There's all these windy roads going up the mountains. So of course, I use Google Maps and that's how we get up there. And Noah's got this thing at the moment where he's, that's our three-year-old, he likes to sit in the back and he can see the map in the front of the car and he says, turn the sound on, Dad, because he likes to hear it say, turn left in 200 metres, turn right. And he sort of follows along with it. <laughs> so I'm following Google Maps up the mountain to a Baroka lookout and we get to the lookout and I get out of the car and there's this amazing vista in front of me. You can see the mountains, you can see the lakes, the shadows of the clouds over the valleys. It's so beautiful. But it would be very strange if we got up to Baroka Lookout and I just sat in the car and looked at the map, right? The map is a good thing. It's what got me there. But the map is not what it's all about. The map is not the destination. Don't confuse the map with the destination. And marriage, as good as it is, we're going to talk about why marriage is good and how it can be good and so on. But we can't ever make marriage the ultimate thing. It's not. It's a temporary thing. It's pointing us towards something greater. And a lot of damage has been done by making marriage seem as if it is the ultimate thing. As much as, much as we might you know, complain about, you go out into the community today and you'll hear people say, marriage is nothing, marriage should be abolished, who cares about marriage? It's a bad thing even. I think damage gets done by that view as well. But as much damage gets done by the opposite view, where marriage is held up to be the ultimate thing, and if you don't get married, or if you do get married, but something goes wrong along the way, and you end up not married anymore, or if you're in, in a marriage, but it's broken, then you feel like you've missed out on what life is all about. You've missed the main thing. And that's just not the case, because marriage is not the ultimate thing. It's pointing us towards something greater. It's like, it reminds me of when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. We read about this in John chapter 4. And Jesus goes to a well, it's the middle of the day. He meets a woman there. She's a Samaritan, so not someone that he should really typically be associating with. And he asks her for a drink and he strikes up a conversation with her. And during the course of that conversation, he says to her, go and get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, being Jesus, says, you're right that you don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands, haven't you? And the man you're now with isn't your husband. And we don't know anything about this woman, what's happened in her life. We don't know why she's been married so many times. 
Maybe her husbands have died like that woman in the riddle. Maybe they've abandoned her. Maybe she's abandoned them. We don't know. But what we do know is that she's been looking for something in marriage. And she's not finding it. Whatever it is that she's looking for, security, love, affection, social status, whatever it is, she's not finding it, clearly, in marriage. And Jesus says to her, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water and you would never be thirsty again. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place for the ultimate thing. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not going to satisfy you because it's pointing to something greater. So what is marriage pointing us towards then? Well, it's nothing less than God's ultimate plan for the universe. That's what it's pointing us towards. Which is? Paul sums this up very nicely in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read from, starting in verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here it is. You ready? This is God's ultimate purpose for the universe, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And in marriage, we see this this future plan of God being brought into the here and now in a small way. It's like a little pocket of this unity that God has in mind for all creation at the end of things. But in marriage, we see two people being united and it's just like a little glimpse of what it's going to be like in the future. At least that's, that's the ideal, right? That's how marriage should be. That's how we would like it to be. And sometimes, I've been married for 25 years and there's been times in that 25 years when we've caught a glimpse of this, this unity and things are going well and you're on the same page and then you hit a bump in the road and things go off course, things get off track. And it's not hard. Anybody in this room who is married, Matt and Vanessa, great to see you guys here. I had the privilege of going to Matt and Vanessa's wedding just a couple of weeks ago. That's our newest little baby marriage in the room. And you guys are going to hit road bumps along the way. Maybe you're in the honeymoon phase still, but there, there will be bumps in the road along the way. Sometimes big things, sometimes little things. But trying to achieve this unity between even just two people is not easy. It's not easy. So marriage shows us that not only what God's purpose is in achieving this unity, but it also highlights how we have no power to actually achieve this unity of our own. If I can't even achieve unity with one other person, I have no power to bring about this plan of God to bring unity to all things under Christ. I mean, we, our dishwasher broke this week and Susan and I have discovered that we have different methods of washing the dishes by hand <laughs> and it's caused a little bit of tension in our house this week. 
So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you can ask each other afterwards what's the right way and the wrong way. I bet you'll find a hundred different ways. <laughs> Sometimes maintaining, maintaining that unity in a marriage is, is not easy because the slightest things get us off the track. Like Emma was saying before about sometimes, you know, we just want it our way. I want it my way. Actually, that's, I've joked before, Susan and I, as I said, we've married 25 years. We've had many arguments in that time. But really, we, we haven't had a thousand different arguments. We've had one argument over and over and over. <laughs> and the argument goes like this. I want this done my way. No, I want it done my way. And then let the battle commence. It doesn't matter what the, what the issue is. Sometimes the issues are small. Sometimes the issues are, are huge. You know, where are we going to live? Are we going to have children? You know, big issues that are going to affect the rest of your life sometimes. But it just shows us, marriage is such a reminder to us every day that we have no power to achieve this unity. We are completely reliant on the grace of God to achieve this, even in such a small way. But Jesus tells us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. This is like us, we're praying that we're sort of can draw forward from what is going to be a reality at the end of the age. We want to draw that forward into the here and now. So we want to keep praying. We want to keep praying. But I know it's hard. It's hard to keep praying for something, especially when you're not seeing the thing that you want come to pass. Maybe you're praying for a husband or a wife and you're not seeing that happen. Maybe you're in a marriage which is really struggling and you're praying and praying and praying and you're not seeing that unity come about. Maybe you're in a marriage where you've, you've, the unity part of it is not so bad, but the under Christ bit is a problem because your husband or wife isn't a Christian and you're praying and praying and praying and you're not seeing the answer that you want to that prayer. I know about praying for things and not seeing answers. It's hard and it's, it, feels very, it can feel very lonely at times. It can feel very isolating at times. And that's where... The community comes in. We're talking about sent to build community. Marriages don't exist in isolation. Even though, you know, probably the, the consensus, I guess, in our society is that really marriage just involves the two people. It's none of, none of anyone else's business. Who cares, you know, who gets married or when they get married or why they get married? doesn't matter because it's only about the two people involved. But anyone who's married will tell you that's definitely not the case. It's not the case. Marriages exist within a community. They grow up within a community. They're influenced by the community. And they influence the community as well. It's a two-way street happening there. And this is where... I'm about to use the S word, okay? This is where Paul, after in chapter 1 of Ephesians telling us about this is God's plan to bring all things into unity under Christ, he starts to paint a picture of what, what a community that lives like this would look like. And this is what he says in Ephesians 5, 21. He says, submit, there's the S word, submit. Oh, that's a horrible word, isn't it? We don't like that word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Submission is a, it's a dirty word. We, we do not like it. It just gets our hackles up sometimes. And partly because it's, it's a word that gets used often by people to try and get people to submit to them. You need to submit to me. It's, so it's, in that sense, it's kind of an, it's an offensive word because it's been used offensively by people. But Paul here is trying to paint a picture of what it looks like when you have a community that is trying to bring this, this reality at the end of the age into the present. What does a community like that look like? And he talks about marriage as well, among other things. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How, how does submitting to one another show reverence for Christ? Reverence is not a word we use very often. It's just great honour. How does submitting to one another show great honour to Christ? Because Christ is the chief submitter. He submitted to us long before we submitted to anyone else, including him. He gave up all the glory that he had in heaven to become one of us. And he didn't stop there. He continued submitting. This is the, the God who knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. That's a disgusting job, it, even today. But in the ancient times, worse. People are wearing sandals and they're walking through streets that are littered with you know, animal droppings and all sorts of stuff. Gross, exactly. When we submit to one another, we honour Jesus because we are following his example of submission. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. And Paul goes on from here to talk about what does this look like in a community where everybody is submitting to everyone else? Everyone submit to everyone. What does that look like in a community? And he talks about children and parents. What does this look like? Well, it looks like children obeying their parents. It looks like fathers not frustrating their children. We had Father's Day last week. Great to celebrate fathers. Dads are awesome. But dads, come on. We know how to wind up our kids, don't we? And sometimes, sometimes we do it just for our own amusement. Okay. That's not, I'm not boasting about that. That's just what we do. And Paul says, don't do that. Because that, that's not submitting to everyone. That's not building the kind of unity that God wants to build in us as a community. He talks about slaves and masters, which maybe we would say employers and employees. I mean, slavery is obviously a, a difficult topic to tackle, but in that, in that time, there were lots of slaves. There were lots of people that had slaves. That was a, a very common sort of form of employment, if you like. And so Paul is just addressing the situation that's there at the time. In that church in Ephesus, there's going to be some slaves. There's going to be some people who have slaves. That's just the reality. And he says, what does it look like when everyone's submitting to everyone in this unity? It looks like workers work as if you're working for God. And bosses treat your employees fairly. Don't, don't work them into the ground. Pay them fairly. Treat them as, as human beings. And he spends the longest time talking about husband and wife relationships. Because marriage is a key, a key relationship in any community. You know, we've got a lot of marriages represented here today. And it's just one of those relationships that is, is a key one in building community. And this is what he says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the saviour. And that, that verse, wives, submit to your husband, has caused no end of argy-bargy in, in the church and out of the church and everything. Because submission is a, a dirty word, as we're talking about. But don't forget, Paul is, Paul is saying this as an example of what he's just said. Everyone submit to everyone. Now, here's some examples. What does this look like? If you're a child, this is what it looks like. If you're a slave, this is what it looks like. If you're a wife, this is what it looks like. And if you're a husband, we're going to go on to that in a second, this is what it looks like. He's painting a picture of what this community looks like. And you know what? At the start of this uh, section in the Bible, I don't know if any of you have got your Bibles there, sometimes you know they put headings in various sections in the Bible. That's... It's not really part of the Bible, it's just the, whoever's published your Bible has put in some headings to help you sort things out. And the, the heading of this in my Bible is Instructions for Christian Households, which I find extremely unhelpful in this case. I wish they hadn't put that in there. Because it makes it sound like Paul is talking about a few things through chapters 1 to 4, and then he gets to chapter 5 and he's like, now what else? Should we talk about here? Some instructions for Christian households. Let's talk about that. No, that's not what he's doing at all. He's continuing in the same thought right from the start about this unity that God wants to build. And what does this look like in a community? And let me show you what this looks like in a community. And let me show you what this means for you acting as the person you are, whether you're married, whether you're a child, whether you're an employee or a boss, whatever you are, let me show you what this looks like for you to contribute to this community which is building unity. And so he goes on to talk to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Wow. Skip, this is a long section. I'm skimming down a bit. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. See, even though Paul says, Paul does start off this bit saying, submit, everyone submit to everyone. Okay, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, he doesn't actually use that word submit there for husbands, but if giving up... Everything, even to the point of giving up your own life, isn't submission to someone else. I'm not really sure what is. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Love your wives as you love yourselves. That's when I'm hungry, I feed myself. When I'm cold, I warm myself. You know, th these are the basic things we do for ourselves without even thinking. And Paul says, husbands, you need to be thinking of your wives in the same way that you're thinking of yourselves. If your wife has a need, take care of that need. That's looking out for other people ahead of ourselves. And it's only in a community which values this, everyone submit to everyone else, where marriages like this will grow. It's no surprise that in a society where people are looking out for their own rights, where I'm concerned about what I can get and my needs are more important than all of yours, it's no surprise that in a society like that, marriages will grow which reflect that exactly. 
where the two people are just looking out for their own interests first. But in a community which has this unity, where the kingdom of God has come in our marriages and in our community, where it reflects that unity that God has as his ultimate purpose for the universe. In a community like this, marriages can thrive. Marriages can be built where the husband and wife are mutually serving each other and looking to each other's needs ahead of their own. Where people can learn how to be husbands and wives, even before they're husbands and wives, because they're learning in this community of mutual submission to each other. Where people can come in who are broken by marriage, whether their own experience of marriage or maybe their parents' marriage or experiences they've had with marriage, where they can come into a community like this and be healed. Where we can see broken marriages healed. There is, there's nothing worse than when something really good goes bad. And marriage is a really good thing and when it goes bad, oh, it's, it's very bad. Causes so much pain and trauma. And it's interesting, we're doing this uh, Bible reading plan on healing from relational trauma. It's so needed today. But likewise, there's nothing better, there's nothing better than when something good, which has gone bad, then is healed and restored again. And we want to be a community which practices this submit everyone to each other out of reverence for Christ so that marriages. Broken marriages can walk in these doors and be restored. And as we go through the, the ebbs and flows of our married life, those of you who are married, when you are you know, up here and things are clicking and things are going well and you're, you're like, yeah, this unity under Christ, we've got it at the moment. Maybe it won't last forever, but we've got it at the moment. Okay, you have a responsibility then. You have a responsibility to this community and whatever other communities you're involved in to influence from your marriage into that community. Someday, you'll be the ones down here. You'll have hit the bump in the road and somebody else will help you. But all of us have a responsibility to, if we're achieving that unity in our marriage, to share that with others. Marriage is an exclusive relationship in the sense that there's, there's no one else who has that place in my life as Suze does. But marriage is also an inclusive thing because you, that, that spirit of unity that you have, you can share that with others. You can invite others into that so that they can learn and they can grow and they can start to thrive and be healed within that. This is the picture that Paul is painting of this this community where everyone is submitting to each other, everyone is growing and thriving together as we all mutually submit to each other. And in that context, marriages will grow strong and healthy and be healed. But the problem is sometimes we come to passages like this, as I mentioned, with the attitude of how can I get people to submit to me? You know, if you're reading this chapter of Ephesians, thinking, okay, what, wife, submit to, okay, wife, you have to submit to me. Slave, you have to submit to me. If you're coming to this with that attitude, stop. You don't have permission to read Ephesians chapter 5 yet. Go back and read chapters 1 to 4 again, and again, and again, and again. And then we'll give you permission to read this chapter. Because 
It's all one continuous flow. And until we grasp what he says in Ephesians 5, chapter 1 to 2, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What Jesse was talking about before. Christ was the first submitter. He's the chief submitter. We want to follow his example because he's the one who is leading us to this destiny. All things brought into unity under Christ. Amen. Let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Let me get the team back up. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for marriage. We thank you that you've given us this this relationship, this unique relationship which points the way forward to the ultimate plan that you have for the universe. And Father, we thank you for the marriages that exist in this community. And we know that we, have, have, we don't have the power to achieve this unity in ourselves. We know that we fail often in submitting to each other, in, in serving others in our community, in preferring others in our community and preferring others in our marriages. But Lord, we want this community to be a place where marriages are healed and restored, to be a place where marriages thrive, to be a place where marriage is held up, not as the ultimate thing, but as a good thing which points us towards something even better. And Lord, we want that unity, the unity that you have within yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want that unity to be so evident in our community that our marriages would be a witness, a witness of what you are doing in the world, a witness of what you have done, a witness of the way you are changing people, a witness of where things are going, a witness of the destiny and the hope that we have, that we hold on to. And Lord, despite the fact that we fail often, despite the fact that we fail so often, we trust you, Lord. We trust that you are going to bring about that unity in our midst, even with our halting efforts of everyone submitting to everyone. Lord, we trust that you are going to have your way and we welcome your Holy Spirit and we pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come in our marriages as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come in our community as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And if there's anyone here this morning who is feeling like they're broken in terms of their own marriage or um, from marriage in general, marriage has left a scar on you in some way or if you're feeling frustrated that you really you can see this picture that Paul's painting but you just can't get there and you're feeling lonely and isolated you're not alone and we want to pray with you and we want to walk alongside you come forward for prayer afterwards if that's you more than happy to pray with you but now let's sing worship King Jesus Hi.